Hey, Lamar. Hey, Bill. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I got a long-distance phone call right before I walked out the door. No problem. If you'd have gotten here any earlier, you'd have realized I was a couple minutes late myself. The waitress just stepped away. I went ahead and ordered the red snapper for you like you had last time, and it should be here momentarily. And even my tea's here already. Am I that predictable? Well, I, I decided to take a chance. I'm glad it worked out today that we could get together. Uh, when my meeting got canceled, I thought I'd just give you a call and see if you were free at the last minute. Worked perfect for me. Uh, by the way, here's the book I mentioned to you on the way home from the golf course the other day. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I couldn't get by to pick it up last weekend, so I do appreciate you remembering to bring it today. I, I could use it right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, I may have taken a couple of steps backwards since our last discussion. Oh, really? Uh, what's up? Well, I've been thinking. Um, you know, I, I realized that I really would like for there to be a God. It would really simplify life. Uh, all of a sudden, if you can believe that there's a God and that there's objective reasons, then you have a, uh, a real ethical system with teeth in it that means something. You have a God who can interact with us. If you believe the miracle thing we were discussing last week, then life has purpose and there's uh, more to life than just living life here and now. Heaven and eternity becomes a real distinct possibility. Well, what's, what's the matter with that? That sounds pretty good to me. Well, that's just it. It's, it's almost too good. Uh, how do mm. I know that I haven't kind of invented it based on my own desire for it to be true? You know the bit about God creating man in his image? Well, maybe I'm creating God in my image because of this desire. You mean it makes us feel better psychologically to believe in God. We, we wish for God to be true so we can escape the desperation of the idea that life stinks and then you die? Exactly. That empty bumper sticker that says uh, the one that dies with the most toys wins. Boy, I hope there's more to it than that. And That's pretty hollow. Coming out of that hope, uh, you know, maybe I'm inventing a sort of a, what, do you, what would you call it, a psychological crutch to help me get through life, especially during the down periods that we all face from time to time. Maybe we want it to be true so badly that we make it true in our own minds. I think I agree with part of what it is that, uh, that I think you're suggesting. You do? Yeah. Um, just because we wish for, for something to be true or, or get psychological benefit out of it, that doesn't make it true. Exactly. You know, centuries ago, everybody felt real good about the earth being the center of the universe. And pretty much everybody agreed that the stars and the suns and the moon, everything circulated around the earth because the uh, earth was at the center of the universe. It was almost universally accepted. But that didn't mean it was true. Yeah, the problem is it wasn't true. Well, remember, though, that it's not only believers in God, people who wish for there to be a God, who want their worldview to be correct. Uh, so do non-believers. So do atheists. Right. Aldous Huxley, I saw a little article called The Confessions of a Professed Atheist. Uh, he's a descendant of the great Thomas Huxley who helped put Darwinism on the map. Uh-huh. He admitted very frankly that he wanted the world to be meaningless because if there's no God and the world is meaningless, then that means there's no moral order. And if there's no moral order, no prescriptions about how we ought to live that come from on high, then he could do as he wanted to do. Right. He said he objected to God and the moral order because it interfered with his sexual freedom. Wow, that sounds like that's straight out of the 1960s. That was pretty honest of him. But it's also a pretty subjective basis for just writing God off. Uh, are you saying that you agree that since we want it to be true that there can't be anything to it? No, I'm not saying that. 
just because I want it to be true doesn't prove that it is. But the fact that I want it to be true and I get some psychological benefit out of it doesn't prove that it's not true either. What do you mean by that? Well, imagine that you're having a horrible night either because um, you're experiencing intense physical or emotional pain of some sort and, and you're desperately wishing for the morning to come. Well, just because you desperately want the morning to come, does that mean it won't come? Well, no, of course not. The dawn is going to come on time regardless of my desire about it. Exactly. Some of the things that we want to believe in must be true. In other words, not everything that we want to be true could possibly be false or imaginary. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, suppose after I've balanced my checkbook, I announce to you that I have a very large check balance. You may decide this is only wishful thinking on my part, but the only way you'll ever know is by checking my figures. Now, if it turns out that my math is right, any guessing that you do about my psychological state of mind uh, as to whether I'm just imagining and wishing for a large balance, it's just flat out a waste of time. Now, if on the other hand, you look at the numbers, the figures, and and you prove that I'm wrong mathematically, you may find it interesting to explore the psychology of how and why I've deceived myself, but really only after you've done a proper investigation does that make any sense. Okay, but how does this relate to my belief in God? Well, you can't come to any solid conclusions about God's existence by wondering about your wishes about God. The evidence and logic either point to his existence or they don't, independent of our wishes. Just because we want it to be true, that doesn't disprove it in the slightest. Okay, so basically you're recommending the Joe Friday approach, just the facts, (laughs) ma'am. Well, that we do have to start there. Okay, well, that, you know, certainly will clear up the muddle quite a bit if we just keep it based on the facts. But how do you know, how can you know that your belief in Christianity is really true? Uh, How can you investigate someone's faith? Well, you don't investigate the faith. You investigate the object of the faith. Say more about that. Well, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that there are two guys that are going hunting, and they're in the woods in northern Minnesota in the dead of winter. One of the guys is an experienced woodsman, and the other is a novice. And towards the end of the day, the experienced woodsman realizes that a storm's coming in, and if they don't get back to the lodge quickly, they could be in dire straits. And so he suggests that without any delay, they head straight across the lake to get back to the lodge. Well, the novice is scared to death about the idea of going across that lake. Probably a southerner like me. (laughs) Not used to how thick, I mean, you know, you could drive a convoy across that ice uh, 30-some inches thick in the dead of winter. But he didn't know that. He's scared to death. And his buddy sets out for the lodge, and he gingerly tests it out on the edge of the shore and First puts his toe and then a little bit more weight and and hesitatingly makes his way, and they finally get there. Well, a few months later, the same two guys are out, and even though there's no storm coming and no urgency, the novice remembered the experience last time, how well that worked, and he said, hey, on the way back, let's take the shortcut like we did last time and go straight across the lake to the lodge. Well, the experienced woodsman says, no way that I'm getting on that ice. The conditions are different. It's not as thick as it was. And in spite of all his persuasion, he failed, and the novice decided that 
he was confident that he could make it. Well, he sets out, and a few feet offshore, he falls through the ice, and his buddy has to fish him out. Now, in the first instance, the faith of the novice was weak. But the object was strong and solid, and he made it. In the second instance, his faith was very strong, but it was in a lousy object, and he didn't make it. The validity of the object is more important than the strength of the faith. Well, I, I agree with that, obviously. But with ice, Bill, that's a physical object, and you can take a little core sample and drill through, and you can measure how thick it is, and from there you can find out whether it's strong or weak. How do you do that with respect to a person's faith in Jesus Christ? How do you determine whether that's a valid object in which you can put your faith? Great question. Um, that's one that's going to take a lot more time than we have here at, at lunch to really discuss thoroughly the evidence for Jesus Christ being who he claimed he is. He claimed that he was God in human form. But remember our discussion last time coming back from the golf course about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. I've I got a 70-page assignment in this <laughs> book to read, and I'm looking forward to it tonight. Well, if Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection, and he really did it, he really accomplished it, he came back from the dead, wouldn't that be a pretty solid, objective basis for believing in him? Yeah, I suppose so. I, I guess a lot would then hang on whether or not that really happened. Everything hangs on it. Okay, so you feel that uh, the author of this book here uh, has some good information on this subject? Yes, very helpful. It's direct and specific. The kind of evidence that you would use in deciding a legal case, for instance, uh, or a point of history. For example? Well, do you believe that Abraham Lincoln lived, that he was the 16th president, or that he gave the Gettysburg Address in 1863? Yes, of course. Well, the question is, Why? Why do you believe those statements when you never saw him or talked with him? Were you there in 1863 when he gave that famous speech? Well, my daughter sometimes thinks I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I believe it because we have reliable witnesses, Bill. Uh, have you ever talked to any of them? Well, no, obviously not. Uh, the witnesses are writings, you know, writings from eyewitnesses. The people and the places and the events all check out as being reliable and accurate. I guess it's kind of like seeing ripples on a pond. Uh, even though you didn't see a stone get thrown in or a fish jump, you could trace the ripples back to where the disturbance on the water took place. Exactly. That's the same kind of evidence and reasoning presented in this book and in many other books as well. Okay. I'll read it tonight, and I'm looking forward to discussing it more with you. Can I shift gears a little bit? Yeah. I was having a discussion with an old friend the other day, and I was telling him about our discussions. And I was telling him that I, I felt a need to seek the truth, so to speak. And he kind of blew it off. He acted like I was kind of a goofball or something. Because you were wrestling with these questions, because you had some need? Yeah. You know, obviously you've wrestled with some of these questions, too. Obviously this is a, a valid pursuit in your mind. Well, there's a, a distinction in needs that's been helpful to me as I think about this because occasionally I you know, bump into somebody who doesn't seem to have any curiosity about it either, and that is the difference between real needs and felt needs. Mm -hmm. If somebody went to the doctor for a, a routine physical, everything was going along great, and all of a sudden the doctor comes across something that alarms him, and he comes across a lump in the, in the shape and the size and the location 
makes him feel like there's a problem here. And he tells the patient he needs to get a biopsy and consider the possibility of surgery. And the patient says, not on your life. I'm feeling great. Everything's going terrific in my life. I don't have a need. I don't have a problem. Well, just because he didn't feel the need doesn't mean that he didn't have it. That's the difference between a real need and a felt need. And the friend that you're talking about that you had the discussion with, he may have a real need, even though he doesn't feel the need. And just not be aware of it. And just not be aware of it. Well, that's a very good point. Lamar, remember our discussion about Pascal's wager? I remember Pascal was a Frenchman. I, no, I don't remember the specifics. Well, he was a guy who had a lot of friends who were agnostics who were saying, I don't know. But furthermore, they were indifferent agnostics. They, they said, not only do I not know, I don't care. Right. And he put forth what now is known as Pascal's wager. And the short of it is that if you choose to believe in God, you have nothing to lose and an enormous amount potentially to gain. On the other hand, if you decide to reject God, you have nothing to gain by rejecting God and potentially everything to lose. Yeah, I remember you made the point that you weren't saying that someone should just go through a ritual and say some words and make a leap of faith just in case to hedge his bets. Exactly. I think Pascal was simply saying that we ought to be motivated to investigate the most important questions of life. I don't know is one thing. There's help for that. Pascal was trying to pry his friends away from the attitude of, I don't care. Okay, well, that's that's very helpful because uh, I really do care. I care a lot more than this friend I was discussing it with, and I really am looking, and it's comforting to know that uh, that, that seems reasonable to you. Uh, one more thought, by the way, on, on the fact that believing in God makes us feel better psychologically. If we examine the object of faith and find that the object is solid, well, whatever psychological benefit we get out of that not only doesn't invalidate the reality of our faith, it actually affirms it. Jesus Christ is simply producing what he promised, peace and joy and certainty. Boy, that's quite a package if it really is true and is therefore available to people like me. So I promise you I will do my homework assignment uh, are the 70 pages in this book marked? Yeah, I have a, a bookmark buried in there, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting your reaction to it. Okay. If you will uh, give me a few days, I'll read it tonight and mull it over, and maybe we can get together next week and uh, have lunch again. Would you be up for that? Uh, I'd love to. Great, Bill. I really appreciate you coming today, and uh, I'll pick up the check, and uh, you can get the next one. Uh, next one's on me. Fair enough. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> 